This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state has mailed out more unemployment checks, but also rejected a record number of claims. One applicant who was denied says he was able to reach a human being at the Department of Economic Opportunity, and she told him it was a massive computer glitch. Governor Ron DeSantis takes his coronavirus roadshow to Tampa General Hospital, where he says there is a light at the end of the COVID-19 tunnel. Florida Democrats tee off on the Gov, saying it's time to fix not just the unemployment website, but the entire compensation program. Florida is one of the stingiest in the country. They blame former Governor Rick Scott for creating a flawed system and DeSantis for failing to fix it. A federal judge in Tallahassee presides over a trial that could shift the balance in Florida politics. The issue is a constitutional amendment restoring voter rights to former felons and a bill passed by Republican lawmakers that would keep about 700,000 of those felons from having their rights restored because they can't afford to. We'll take a deep dive and hear some of the oral arguments from that federal court trial. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with Florida Man, who is keeping our law enforcement officers busy during the lockdown. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, April 28th. First, the numbers. As of Monday, Florida had more than 32,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19, 1,088 fatalities. Those figures are actually higher right now, but the health department is only updating the totals once a day instead of twice, which basically means the numbers are pretty much outdated as soon as they're released. Governor Ron DeSantis continues to talk down the impact of coronavirus in the Sunshine State. If they had a name for his PR strategy, it would best be described as, we're doing better than anyone thought we would. Going forward, I think clearly the folks should see a light at the end of the tunnel for the state of Florida. Now it's, it's not going to be something that a, a switch is going to be flipped. This is going to be slow and steady wins the race. It's going to be very methodical, very data-driven. Um, and there's going to be probably some people that think it's too slow, um, and I get that. Uh, but I think that um, you know, the country's never gone through anything like this. You go back in 1918, the Spanish flu, they didn't have a national uh, effective secession of a lot of economic activity like that. So we're, this is uncharted territory. We use the data. We use the facts as best we can. But the fact is nobody knows what this will do or that will do. Uh, so you go slow, you measure, you go steady. Uh, and then you make the best decisions uh, that you can. And look, this phase one is a baby step. I mean, we we are deliberately going to be very methodical, slow, and data-driven on this. But as the governor makes plans to reopen Florida, Democrats are asking to pay more attention to doctors and less to the president. Florida Democratic Party Chairwoman Terry Rizzo says Donald Trump has been wrong from the beginning, and Ron DeSantis has been following his lead. President Donald Trump has been absolutely chaotic in his response to the coronavirus pandemic from the beginning to today. And very sadly for us in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis has been following his lead every step of the way. After months of ignoring experts, shirking responsibility, and failing to rapidly scale testing, Donald Trump has sadly shown us we cannot trust him to lead us in this pandemic. Donald Trump was warned about this virus in early January, but delayed, denied, and flatly prepared to prepare the U.S. His response was so incompetent that the administration actually appointed a former Labradoodle breeder with no public health experience to lead the task force responsible for responding to the rise of coronavirus. From the very beginning, Trump has refused to listen to medical experts, and we're still paying the price for it. And not only has Trump's response been erratic, he's still undermining critical health care programs even while we're in the midst of a pandemic, and healthcare is more crucial now than ever. In the midst of this health crisis, 
Trump is still supporting the Republican lawsuit to repeal the Affordable Care Act, which would kick nearly 2 million Floridians off their health insurance. Trump ignored and downplayed this crisis from the very beginning, and he still hasn't learned from these mistakes. He still does not have a plan to institute mass national testing. He still has not fully utilized the Defense Production Act to help produce desperately needed supplies for testing and personal protection. He's still spreading dangerous misinformation that goes against medical expert opinion. Ron DeSantis has been in lockstep with the president every step of the way. Donald Trump is continuing his erratic management of the coronavirus crisis. And Ron DeSantis, Trump's mini-me, remains right by his side. Florida still has a long way to go on this road to recovery, and DeSantis's insistence on taking Trump's chaotic lead is only prolonging this crisis. Congressman Darren Soto of Orlando says there is no consistent strategy from the White House, so state and local governments have been forced to pick up the slack during the pandemic. The GOP has shunned science and experts for years, and now there couldn't be a worse time to have science-denying conspiracy theorists at the helm which leads me to the conspirator in chief. First President Donald Trump called the coronavirus a hoax. Then he said it would magically disappear. Then he pitched the untested chloroquine like a snake oil salesman. Then as thousands of Americans began dying, he proclaimed he took no responsibility. Now he proclaims disinfectants and sunlight are the latest cure. It would all be a joke if it wasn't so seriously dangerous. But these outlandish claims are only the tip of the iceberg. The truth is that America does not have enough supplies to run tests. We've heard bipartisan groups of governors across the nation state this over and over and over again. And America doesn't have enough personal protective equipment to protect first responders across the nation. These represent the biggest hurdles to reopening our country in a safe way. President Trump is not only in complete denial of these facts, but he has the power to fix it and has refused to do so. The president must harness the Defense Production Act to produce all necessary supplies. We also need a national procurement strategy. We cannot afford to have states, hospitals, and local governments compete against each other. This drives up the price, causes unneeded scarcity, leads to price gouging, and ultimately wastes billions of taxpayer dollars while putting millions of American lives at risk. Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel Powell of Miami-Dade says the worst part of this is that people are playing political games in the middle of a pandemic that has already killed more than 56,000 Americans. The response by the White House, by this president, and sadly by our governor, has been strongly inadequate and sadly partisan. We have seen that we have a governor here in the state of Florida that has cared more about following in the footsteps of his ally, Um, and uh, supporter, President Donald Trump, than really protecting the lives and the health of Floridians here in the state of Florida. Obviously, the incompetence that has come out of the White House has been mirrored by the incompetence that we have seen coming from the governor's office. And my concern is that we are seeing a governor that is putting politics and political points for him, his base, and the president before the health, the well-being, and the prosperity 
of those Floridians that are most in need. After weeks of complaints by senior advocates and reporters, the governor has ordered the release of information on the number of residents and staff infected by coronavirus at Florida elder care facilities, but he is still refusing to disclose the number of deaths at each facility. One nursing home in the Panhandle has reported nearly twice as many confirmed cases of coronavirus among its residents as any other home in the state. That's the Southern Oaks Care Center in Pensacola. 15 employees, 87 residents there have tested positive. Another five residents with confirmed cases were transferred elsewhere. That means about 40% of the residents tested positive. The Southern Oaks Care Center has been disciplined by the state 12 times in the past 16 years. The fines have added up to almost $30,000. One of the biggest stories to come out of the coronavirus crisis in Florida is the collapse of the state unemployment compensation system. It's been a nightmare for most of the people who tried to file a claim, but Governor DeSantis says they've been doing everything they can to patch the system together and get checks out to people. We were able to, um, you know, this weekend process, uh, I believe, uh, another 300,000 claims and payments. So that's going to be hitting people's bank accounts today and tomorrow. Some of them are debit cards. And so this is now, we will have done a total of almost 500, actually, I think over 500,000 payments now. To put that in perspective, all of last year, I think there was like 300 some thousand some claimants. So there was huge problems with this thing. We've had people working 24 seven, surging the workforce to be able to do it. But I think that a lot of times when people are going on the system like this weekend, some people wanted to go on, but they, they, had, it, they had it off of that so that you would be able to process more. A lot of that's to check status and all that. And I get people are antsy, they want the money. But I think having it, having it down so you can process the money at the end of the day, people want to see the checks cut, and so that was what was done. People, though, if you're just newly unemployed, you can still apply through the PEGA website. That is always running. That PEGA data does, does get run through this, uh, this Connect system, but it's, um, there's been a lot of payments. There's going to be a lot of payments made today. This has not been an easy thing, but I can tell you uh, this has been worked on 24-7, and so to be able to see the progress this weekend, I'm probably going to do, um, you know, we may, I think we're going to try to get the full numbers because they were still doing it all through the night, uh, but it is uh, leaps and bounds where they were uh, three or four weeks ago. I mean, three or four weeks ago, you're like, people couldn't even, I mean, it was crashing because you had hundreds of thousands of people trying to get on, and uh, it was processing like 1,500 payments a day. Well, when you have hundreds of thousands of people, that ain't going to cut it. But Democrats say it's too little, too late. Congresswoman Lois Frankel of Palm Beach County says Florida's unemployment comp system is a pretty bad joke. Florida's benefits are embarrassing. It's a disgrace. It's cruel and inhumane. $275 a week for 12 weeks is about the lowest in the country. $275 a week is not even minimum wage. It doesn't even come close to what the average Floridian earns, which is about 52,000 a year, about $1,000 a week. So think of that shortfall for the average Floridian. Uh, I think this is about our third or fourth press conference on this issue. And I know this delegation has sent numerous letters urging the governor to take the steps uh, to give Floridians money to pay their rent, to buy their food to buy their medicine. We're asking people to stay home, to stay safe. But we've got to put the finance behind that. DeSantis is the one catching heat for the collapse of the unemployment system, but Congresswoman Kathy Castor of Tampa says he's not the one to blame. 
this is a system that is designed to hurt Floridians at a time when they need help the most. Former Governor Rick Scott and the GOP legislature designed this system. It was designed to fail. Now, Senator Rick Scott, uh, while we were drafting the CARES Act, he was one of the senators who <laughs> stood up in the Senate and said, wait a minute, we're providing too much in unemployment compensation aid to our neighbors who have lost a job. That's really contemptible, I think. And then add insult to injury. Uh, over the past few days, Senator Rick Scott sent a fundraising email adding insult to injury that said Floridians at this time when they are being asked to stay home because there is a raging virus, he said they would rather receive an unemployment check than a paycheck. That's wrong. It's mean-spirited. This is a system that was designed to hurt our neighbors at a time when they need help the most. It was done on purpose. It was calculated. It was premeditated. And it makes me wonder, is this uh, the, the core value of my Republican colleagues? I hope not. Instead, now is the time for Governor DeSantis to fix this mess, not just fix the website, but ensure that that people get the aid that they need to survive this crisis. Florida already has some of the worst unemployment benefits in the country. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Broward County says the governor has the authority to increase payments and extend the number of weeks of eligibility for Floridians who lost their jobs during the crisis. We know the governor has the power to increase, the, extend the benefits to do much more than he has already done, uh, which is nothing more than really treat this like a mechanical problem where the web, you know, fix the website and somehow miraculously everything is going to be fine. Um, he's already changed jobless benefits during this crisis by executive order um, when he lifted the two-week uh, reapplication rule. If he doesn't have the courage or the will to do it, then he needs to step out of the way and let the legislature do it. It should not take a special legislative session for him to take the steps that he has the power to do already. But if so, that has to happen. Um, that's not the only issue that the legislature needs to address. There are other budget issues that have cropped up during the COVID-19 crisis. Election safety reforms <clears throat> need urgent action too. But at the very least, if nothing else, there, there must be a, uh, a solution found immediately to the horrendous problems the unemployment compensation system is facing. Clearly, the governor does have the power to do it, but he's refusing. And to ignore that power is a failure of moral and economic leadership. The governor has said repeatedly he does not have the authority to increase benefits or extend the weeks of eligibility. But Congressman Charlie Chris said he did that when he was governor during the recession of 2008. When Floridians are hurting, you don't point fingers, you take action. And that's exactly what we're asking Governor DeSantis to do. The governor needs to take swift and immediate action to expand unemployment benefits because as it stands now, unfortunately, Florida is the stingiest in the nation. That's never going to cut it. That's why we're asking the governor to do the right thing and help the people and extend the helping hand Floridians are begging for by expanding unemployment benefits. As we all know right now, there are 1.7 million Floridians and counting who need it. As a former governor myself, I understand what a difficult position Governor DeSantis is in, but I think the choice is clear in this case. Do the right thing. Expand the unemployment benefits and the time frame within which they come. I've said before, there's no time for Monday morning quarterbacking, and I stand by that. But when you see so many folks hurting, when you see hundreds of people risk their lives, literally, to stand in line for a paper application for unemployment, you need to leap to action. 
because the health and well-being of our state and our people depend upon it. The state did manage to enroll more people for jobless benefits over the weekend, but more than a third of the claims were rejected without any explanation. The Orlando Sentinel reports that in some cases, entire families have been declared ineligible. Turns out it may have been a computer glitch. Ben Forster, who is a member of a Florida unemployment support group on Reddit, says he was told by an operator at the Department of Economic Opportunity there was a system error that reset everyone's base wages to zero during the application process, and that's why so many claims were rejected. She also told him they hope to have that fixed sometime today. Next up, we take a deep dive in a federal court case that could add hundreds of thousands of names to the voter rolls in Florida. The issue is Amendment 4, which was approved by voters in 2018, and Senate Bill 7066, which was passed by lawmakers the following year. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Welcome back to Sunrise. Trial is underway in a federal court hearing that could have an enormous impact on future elections in the Sunshine State. Voters approved Amendment 4 back in 2018 to restore the voting rights of hundreds of thousands of former felons. The legislature responded by passing a bill that said no one could register to vote until they paid all their outstanding financial obligations, like fees, fines, and restitution. Attorney Sean Morales-Doyle with the Brennan Center for Justice told U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle that law was designed to thwart the will of the voters and would prevent more than 700,000 Floridians from having their voting rights restored because they simply don't have enough money. They responded by passing a law that the evidence will show, once again, discriminates against black and low-income Floridians. They responded by passing a law that the evidence will show ensures that permanent disenfranchisement continues in Florida. What's more, they didn't just put a price tag on voting. The evidence will show that they created a system where returning citizens can't tell what the price is and where the price might be different from one county to another. The authors of Senate Bill 7066 knew that Florida lacked the data to know whether returning citizens are eligible to vote. Then, after this court made very clear that the state needed to make the system work, including for those who can't afford to pay, and laid out a clear constitutional principle to guide the state in fixing it, defendants did nothing. They let important local elections and a presidential primary go by while hundreds of thousands of citizens faced the choice of foregoing their right to vote or facing potential prosecution. Nancy Abudu with the Southern Poverty Law Center told the judge the legislature screwed up by putting a price tag on the right to vote and refusing to make any exceptions for people who truly can't afford it, a 21st century version of the old poll tax that was designed to keep minorities from voting. Senate Bill 7066 does not equally apply to all people. If you are rich, if you are white, and if you are male, you have a much higher probability of being immune from Senate Bill 7066's onerous financial requirements. Senate Bill 7066 places an undue burden on the restoration of voting rights specifically to low-income women of color and imposes a fine that is beyond excessive as a form of punishment for one's inability to pay by continuing to deny them the right to vote. We also ask this court to find that there is no relationship or no relevance to the state's real interest when it comes to making sure we have an informed electorate and that our election system is well run. And then finally, Your Honor, we already know what happens when we leave the state to its own devices because this has been evidenced by the dozens of times the state has been successfully sued for violating voting rights. Senate Bill 7066 is a dangerous law and it takes us back to the time when only white men with property could vote. 
But the governor's attorney says there is no plot to deprive people of their rights. Mohammed Jazeel says the payment of fees, fines, and restitution was part of the deal when Amendment 4 was sold to the public. The all terms of sentence language is clear. That language is unambiguous. That language includes the payment of fines, fees, costs, restitution, and all other financial terms of the sentence before the restoration of voting rights. The proponents of Amendment 4 said so themselves. They said so before the Florida Supreme Court in 2017. That position was repeated in voter guides, the ACLU's own voter guide. That position was repeated in newspapers, on the Internet, on TV, before the November 2018 general election. The proponents, including the ACLU and illegal women voters, repeated these claims after the election in correspondence to the Secretary of State. And on January 16th, of this year, the Florida Supreme Court reaffirmed that the constitutional language presented to the over 5 million Floridians who voted for it and approved it was clear and unambiguous. That language included financial obligations. Thanks to coronavirus, this was a virtual hearing. The judge and the attorneys are linked by computer. The public can listen in over the phone. Normally, we would not have been able to record this because microphones are not permitted in most federal courtrooms. Your calendar of events begins with five state lawmakers in South Florida hosting a food drive to distribute fresh produce and other foods provided by Feeding South Florida. It's happening from 9 in the morning till 11 a.m. at Tropical Park in Miami. The food will be handed out, first come, first serve, while it lasts. The Florida Commission on Hurricane Loss Projection Methodology, yes, there really is such a thing, is holding a conference call at 9 to discuss flood model submissions. The Public Service Commission will consider requests by four major utilities to reduce customer bills. They are not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. Florida Power and Light, Duke Energy Florida, Gulf Power, and Tampa Electric Company didn't have to spend as much on fuel as they expected because the cost of natural gas declined, so they have to return that money to customers. The PSC meets at 9.30. Members of the public cannot attend because of the virus, but they can watch online. At 9.30, the Florida Department of Transportation holds a webinar of a task force that's working on plans for the new Southwest Central Florida Connector. That's a project that includes a new toll road from Polk County to Collier County. The Southwest Florida Water Management District Governing Board holds an online meeting at 10. The University of Florida Board of Trustees is holding a remote meeting beginning at noon. The Broward College Board of Trustees meets in a webinar at 1. The Board of Trustees of the College of the Florida Keys is holding an online meeting at 2. The Florida A&M University Board of Trustees will meet in conference call at 4, talking about issues like the impacts of COVID-19 on the university budget and enrollment. The Board of Trustees of the State College of Florida at Manatee, Sarasota is our final meeting of the day. It's remote. It's at 5.30. And finally, it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, who keeps law enforcement officers on their toes. A Florida man who decided to buy a funny doormat may be having second thoughts today. The welcome mat at the front door of a home in Palm Coast read, Come back with a warrant. And that's exactly what they did. Flagler County deputies found fentanyl and drug paraphernalia inside during the search. There were four people there. No arrests were made immediately, but the Department of Children and Families was contacted because there was a child at the home. And a Florida man is jailed after officers say he was involved in three separate crimes involving three different law enforcement agencies all on the same day. 27-year-old Richard Glorioso, who was wanted for burglary, is accused of hitting a pedestrian and taking off. Hillsborough County deputies say he never stopped or called 911. An hour later, police in Plant City found drugs and a gun in his car. They called in the Highway Patrol for assistance, and a trooper noticed Glorioso's car had the sort of damage that occurs when you hit someone. The FHP eventually found the body, Glorioso currently facing 12 charges on drugs, firearms, grand theft, fatal hit-and-run, and burglary. 
That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.